When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who choose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today we are joined by the always awesome uh, Steve Lambert. Steve, how you doing, buds? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, this is kind of fun, because this is the first time we've ever done anything uh, not in person together. Uh, we are over Google Hangout. Uh, dear listener... Um, not a sponsor. Yeah, nope, nope, not a sponsor. <laughs> and neither is this... Uh, delicious ginger ale schweppers that i'm drinking uh they are not sponsors either um dear listener you should check out the picture we've got of steve um because you can see his great comic room uh which ties into our topic today steve so steve what are we talking about buds we are talking about spider-man far from home ah yeah (laughs) um all right yeah man take the floor take the floor um yeah, so I saw this movie twice. I saw it on opening weekend with uh, my wife uh, <laughs> as a date, and then I but I told some of the guys from our church when and where we were going to see it, and they crashed our date and sat in the row in front of us. Uh, <laughs> so uh, and then I watched it again last night with a guy from our church. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a good movie. Like I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know Chris, uh, you said that uh, it's your favorite live action movie. Yeah, it is uh, 100% my favorite live-action Spider-Man. To me, uh, no question. Nothing else has touched it. Like, I love the amazing Spider-Man, flaws and all. Um, And I really dug uh, Homecoming. But Jill and I were talking about this as we left the theater. Um, And maybe outside of Michael Keaton's Vulture just being such a capturing performance... um, I found this movie superior to it in every way. Um, pun somewhat intended, Spider fans. Uh, <laughs> Did you say that it's amazing and spectacular and sensational and friendly neighborhood? And uh, adjectiveless. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's friendly neighborhood, actually. Yeah, no, not friendly neighborhood. Um, although I, I like how that got brought up a bunch. Um, yeah, uh, the only the only thing. Uh, only better Spider-Man movie than this one to me is still Into the Spider-Verse. Um, that was outstanding. This is this is great too, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's my favorite live action bar is set. So what was the uh, like? Obviously, Mysterio was an amazing uh, villain. Jake Gyllenhaal hit it out of the park. He was he was so good as the the like nice big brother, helpful guy. And then that scene where like it pans around him and he gets that crazy smile on, and all of a sudden he's this nuts out of his mind revenge guy. Uh, like he did a great job, and I, I, I think that's the thing that the Spider-Man franchise and the MCU has uh, been doing so well is that their villains are so much better than almost anything else we've seen besides like Loki and Thanos uh, in the MCU movies. Um, but anyway, besides besides that, like what were the things that you really liked about? It? I think I kind of know because I know you. Uh, but what were the parts that you really uh, enjoyed? Uh, oh man, yeah. Um, it's 
particular shout out to Jake Gyllenhaal um, and everybody who worked on the movie. Like, I was excited for it, but I did not know I would love Mysterio as much as I did. Because he's a hard character to crack. It's not like I thought they'd do a bad job. I'm like, okay, it, there's just enough room for this to go sideways. But they nailed it. They nailed him. His whole distraction and everything was fantastic. Like, when he finally turned villain, uh, in that first scene where Peter's, like, going after him and he's throwing virtually everything at him and messing with Peter, um, that was a, one of the highlights for me from the whole flick because that's where I'm, I got really on board. You knew he was going to go bad. You, It's his nature. Um, I really like how they tied everybody in uh, to like all the way back to Iron Man 1 and uh, I can't remember what the other guy was from but tying it in like his whole crew was motivated by revenge but he was he was the main thing but in a different way because it's not just I'm out for revenge and I want to kill people so you're referring to the fact that the guy who's like the tech guy for Mysterio was the guy getting yelled at by Obadiah Stane in Iron Man 1. And then Jake Gyllenhaal was sort of not really in Civil War, but he was behind the scenes, uh, the creator of the BARF system or whatever, uh, which I thought was a really cool uh, way to tie it in. And, and that made a lot of sense, right, like that, uh, to, to pull that in. Yeah, cool. Yes, thank you. Uh I haven't seen this since I saw it on the uh, opening Friday with Jill. I would have uh, loved to see it again, uh, especially like yesterday, but uh, we didn't get the chance. Um, unfortunately, Infinity, uh, sorry, Endgame, I saw four times in theaters. <laughs> so at this point, I'm like, Marvel, Feige, you, you got my money. I, I helped you cross stuff. I might just have to go to see these once now, uh, what once per go. Um, other things I really, really like. There, there's actually like there's not much I didn't like about the movie. To be honest, um, I really enjoyed Ned and Betty's relationship because you didn't see it coming. It could have gone easily gone like the mean route, like oh we're we're going away and she's just playing him. But no, it was an organic, funny story that gave Ned some really good stuff to do. Um, and I, I actually like kind of expected that because in the comics, Ned and Betty get married. Although the Ned character in the comics is not Ned from these movies. Like He's really Ganke from the Ultimate Spider-Man with Miles Morales, uh, and then given Ned Leeds names. But they have this this on-again, off-again relationship that isn't very good. And, and like I think they kind of took that concept and put it into high school in a way that was actually really hilarious. And, you know, them texting each other, sitting next to each other on the bus and all that kind of stuff was, was really well done. I really, I loved that part of the movie too. I thought it was so good. Uh, yeah, no, no, that, that, oh, so good. Uh, it was organic. It wasn't forced humor. It was making me crack up a lot. Um, I really loved the relationship between, uh, Peter and Michelle uh, or MJ, as they're calling her. Um, I do like that she... It's it's like a nod to the comics past and not like, hey, this is Mary Jane Watson. Because if it was, then I'd be pissed. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's that's not the character. But they're making... They're doing it in a way which is a nod, but they can make their own character. I know you're going to say. 
Yeah, I mean, so I, I knew that you loved that relationship, and I knew that's part of the reason you loved the movie, because I know that you're a sucker for an awkward romance in movies. But <laughs> uh, I actually um, want to disagree with you about MJ not being Mary Jane Watson. Like, she's not, like, she's Michelle Jones, whatever, right? That's fine. But she is absolutely the same character as Mary Jane with one one thing changed about her. Uh, in the comics, uh, Mary Jane is introduced as this party girl who uh, has no cares in the world and she just likes to have fun and she's kind of a flake. Um, and, and that's her character from like the 60s to like... It starts to change when, when Gwen dies in the 70s and then it really changes in the 80s because what happened in the 80s uh, is they have a conversation, uh, Peter and MJ, when she reveals, I think in Tom DeFalco's run, and, uh, that she reveals that she's always known that Peter was Spider-Man. It's so very similar to, to what happens in this movie. Um, and and that uh, she tells him her backstory. And her backstory is basically that uh, she comes from an abusive family. Her father left when she was young. Uh, her mom is a mess. Her sister got married young and had a kid. And so she kind of just, she was like, I don't want my life to look like theirs. So she put on this persona of being the party girl who didn't care about anything to protect herself. Uh, and so that's exactly what MJ in, in Far From Home is like, except instead of being the party girl, she's kind of the weird, outcast, awkward girl. So her character is actually a lot closer. They just change that, uh, like how it comes off in the high school relationship. Which she's not the party girl. She's sort of the social outcast. Like I do my own thing. I don't care what you think about me. But it's actually really close to the comic book character. So I actually really warmed up to her a lot in this uh, this movie because, and and I and I saw it coming in the last movie too. I could tell where they were going with it. But uh, I really like what they did with her in this movie. You know what? 100% fair. 100% fair. Uh, as you were saying that, I was. you can see it. You make a compelling point and um, fair. No, that's kudos, sir. Um, the, the only thing I kind of... One of the few only things I kind of wish we got a little bit more in this movie is... Um, like, just because the last two times... Like in Spidey's last solo movie, he was head up, he was pretty into Liz. I mean, there was a subtle hint he was starting to like MJ at the end of the movie, but suddenly then uh, Infinity War and Endgame and um, so I know I really don't like that they're calling it the blip. Um, they're y'all got dusted. That's what happened. <laughs> But that scene with the marching band and the basketball game was like one of the best things that happened in that entire movie. That was so funny. I laughed so hard because they there was all this conversation of like what happened to people if they just like reappeared after five years. And so there's that, and there was the whole thing about Aunt May saying she showed up again in her apartment, and everyone was like, "Is this a mistress or a ghost or whatever?" Like I, I like that they addressed those things in this movie, and a you know uh, they they kind of made it a joke, right? But then kind of said that like, this is what happened with the world. So I I, uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I love what they did with it. I just didn't like the name for it. Um, but, and then in this movie, suddenly it's just like, well, I really like MJ. And I mean, I get that we, I get that they have a lot in common. They're both awkward as anything. They're both big science geeks. They're both kind of outcasty. But it was a case of telling and not showing. I would have liked a couple more minutes of just actually seeing them be into each other instead of just being told straight out like oh man i really like her and i want to have that moment it's 
just just a little bit that that's legit my only complaint um i continue to oh sorry yeah that's your only complaint in the whole movie uh it's it's one of few i really don't have many complaints about this movie man um like i i like the guy who's playing flash they they get part of that relationship between him and peter uh down pat where it's flash loves spider-man but is a bully and a jerk to peter um but i'm still my the flash fan in my heart is still upset that this flash i don't see how this flash will become the flash that i know uh, ever Agent Venom or anything like that. Um, so the, the fanboy in me is a little bit bitter about that. But I really don't have many complaints about this movie. I was entertained throughout. Uh, the one thing that I... The only thing I ever wanted to come out of the first three Spider-Man movies happened. So I was good Like at that part. Um, the the mid credit scene. Um, the post credit scene I didn't necessarily care for, but I can't pin that on this movie because it was a decision coming out of another movie. So it's just a decision that I don't like. <coughs> um, but this uh, this movie had a lot of really good stuff. I really dug the, the Happy and Aunt May uh, romance just because it wasn't overabundant, but it was done small. Um, it's... It's really weird what they're doing with the Spider-Man because I, you and I were talking about this over text. They're do, I almost feel like they're pulling from so many different things and they're making it their own. Because you can't just look at the early Ditko run and be like, that's what this is. You also can't look at... It's lifting from Ultimate Spider-Man, Classic Spider-Man, even like recent Spider-Man where Peter was a multimillionaire and had a company and had a jet that could make a suit that's really weird for Spider-Man, but it is something that happened, and within the logic of the movie, I was on board. I think, yeah, that's that's my my big beef with the movie is, I mean, I loved, I loved so much about this movie, and I'm going to talk about um, some of the things that I caught the second time around uh, that I think make this movie so, like, it blew my mind when I started to actually think about some of the, the themes in this movie. Um and I loved, I loved Mysterio. I thought he, like, he did such a great job, as I've said. Uh, you already talked about that, like, um, Ned and Betty. I love that. I love Peter and MJ. Uh, I think you're right. They could have shown it more, but they also talked about how it been eight months and and kind of like they just had to kind of skip over stuff. Like things have happened, and we got well, there's too much going on to 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 do that. Um, but what I love, I love the scene right before he gets hit by the train. That whole thing in Berlin. With the, like the giant Mysterio hands, it's right out of the comics. Like it was that that like that's when the movie really kind of clicked and came together for me. Uh, was you know the part where Mysterio reveals his plan, and up to that was just like that was the heart. It was so good. Um, but the problem that I had with the movie, uh, the, the, my biggest complaint, uh, is that, and I, and I feel the same way after watching it a second time, is it wasn't as much of a Spider-Man movie as it was Iron Man Four. Um, it. it it was very much, and, and this has been a big part of Peter's arc in the MCU, um, is Peter wrestling with Iron Man's legacy, uh, and um, is he going to be the next Iron Man, right? And and it, Iron Man's presence, even though he wasn't in the movie, was, was just all over this story, all over this movie. Um, and and I think the that's okay. Like, I would have been okay with that, but I think the thing that, 
that bothered me the most about it is at the end of this movie, there's a 16-year-old Spider-Man who has access to the world's defense net, like network with through a pair of glasses. Like that just doesn't make sense. Like why Spider-Man should never have that kind of power, right? He just shouldn't have access to kill bots that he can send on anybody and like the spy network that he can look at anyone's texts and erase people's photos. Uh, like it was a great MacGuffin to kind of be the motivation behind uh, Mysterio, but. I just, I just kind of like, I love the movie, and I just kind of go back and I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't a Spider-Man movie in the same way that, like, I know you don't love the 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 uh, Sam Raimi movies. Those were those were Spider-Man movies, right? And even the um, the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Those are about Spider-Man. They have Spider-Man type problems, and this was just uh, too far out there. But I will say this. Um, they, Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige have both said that they had a rule for themselves that they couldn't show Spider-Man swinging through New York City until they'd earned it, right? They, they wanted to do something different, and they didn't want to repeat that same iconic image until they felt they'd earned it. And when they showed that at the end of the movie, I was like, yes, this is what I want. This is Spider-Man, right? Him swinging through Manhattan is what I've been waiting two movies to see. And I think it's okay that they didn't show that, but I'm now just super pumped for... Spider-Man Home Run, or whatever the third one's going to be called, Spider-Man Home Home on the Range, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it to kind of get back to sort of some of the classic formula, and whatever crazy stuff is going to hit the fan now that J. Jonah Jameson knows who Spider-Man is, and everybody knows who Spider-Man is, uh, spoilers, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe we should put it, edit something in there later on, earlier on for that, but yeah, like, that's, that, I'm just so excited about what comes next because of that. So yeah, I did have that big, big uh, complaint, but it didn't, it wasn't a big enough complaint that I was like, well, I don't know, this is my Spider-Man, hashtag, not my Spider-Man. You know, like, I still really enjoyed it. Uh, you know what, I, I, I can't understand where you're coming from, but I'll, I'll kind of fight you on this. Um, I Fight me, Chris! <laughs> um... It was to me. It was still enough of a Spider-Man movie. Like, yes, there is the MacGuffin, uh, which fair. That's a great way to put it. Um, but throughout the whole movie, that him having that is not the problem. Like, it's this almost annoying extra, and then it becomes like the thing at the end. But throughout the whole movie, it's very much he wants as a teenage boy to just have this one romantic moment with the girl that he likes. Uh, and then it's him catastrophizing and having bad things happen repeatedly. That is very much a theme to Spider-Man. That's something that always always seems to happen. Um, like a bird poops on him on the sunniest day. Like, he, he gets his moments, but it was still very much that where at the end he's like i'm giving this over because it's great this guy can do it i don't want this i can i can go be with the girl because he's the little guy at at the heart of it um and then at the end yes he uses it it's to me that's just uh i'm cleaning the slate like i need to reclaim this because this is on me a hundred percent I don't think he's. I don't think he's gonna keep it. If it's something that can show up in the next one, like, oh, I've got access to this, then then I'm with you. Then I'm then I'm annoyed by that. Uh, but it made sense for the story, and to me, it was still enough of those small personal stakes because his whole thing is, I'm awkward and I like this girl, and that's what I'm tunnel visioned on. 
that made it still that small, relatable Spider-Man story to me. But I, I get where you're coming from, where, yeah, Peter shouldn't have <laughs> glasses or something that gets him a spy network and Deathbot. He's not Batman or Iron Man. Like, he, he doesn't have this stuff. And you've, you've read many more Spider-Man comics than I have, so you'll correct me. But even when he had, like, Parker Industries, he didn't have that level of stuff. He had a lot of stuff, but he didn't have that level of stuff. So, I, 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 do, I do see your, the criticism, and I understand it. It's just, to me, it's still very much a Spider-Man movie. Um, it could have been more Iron Man 4 -y. They are leaning on the Iron Man stuff a lot. It's, it, this is their version of Uncle Ben, because Uncle Ben's been, pun intended, done to death. Like, you cannot escape the Uncle Ben stuff. So they're creating something new and really leaning into it. Um, I'm hoping that'll lessen. Like, there, I do have a personal hope for later, if they're keeping Spidey with a suit that's got some kind of AI, that eventually it'll be Tony, because that would be a cool way to work in Robert Downey. Um, but that's not, a, that's not anything I'm hinging on. I'm just like, oh, that could be a cool way to bring him back. Uh, I'm so excited for the next one, though, because for the first time in any Spider-Man movie ever, we have no idea what is about to happen. And, and I, I have no problem with the franchise or the movie um, going against the grain, going against the formula and toying with a different idea, right? Like, I don't, I, I don't mind uh, playing with what we're used to and, and doing things like that. I think, so, and I agree, there was all the, the Parker luck is in there of... Um, the Parker Luck is this idea that comes up in the comics a lot of Spider-Man, whenever he wins, he also loses, right? Like, he, he can be with MJ, but that's probably going to mean that he can't do a good job as Spider-Man, or he can be what he needs to be with Spider-Man, but then Brad ends up sitting next to MJ at the opera, although she ended up leaving. But that, that kind of thing, right? Like, uh, that that was in there, and, it, and it, you're right, there was a lot of moments in there that were very Spider-Man, and I, I really liked that. Um, I, I think, like, besides the Edith glasses, one of the, like, one of the things that kind of nails this as very Iron Man-y for me, though, is when he's in the, the private jet that picks him up from the Netherlands and Happy is taking him on, he's working on his costume, and uh, he's using the same thing that they use in Iron Man 1. Like, that scene was on purpose, reminding you of Iron Man 1, right? He starts playing uh, Black Sabbath, what is it again? Iron Maiden, uh, the same song from Iron Maiden. Sorry? It was, uh, was ACDC. That one, yeah. Hashtag the eighties, uh, and 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 even like when he makes a spider symbol, he spins it in the same way that Tony Stark did. And you know, like it was it was trying to make you think, oh, maybe he could be the next Iron Man, right? Like it, that that that's what that scene was. Um, but anyway, like besides that, besides the point, right? Like that, you're right about all those other things that they were Spider Man moments. It really did hit the Peter Parker stuff uh, really well, and I I don't have any problem with that. Um, but yeah, oh, go ahead. So, yeah, no, no. And um, I'm actually glad you mentioned that stuff because I, in my zeal to defend, not that I had forgotten about it, but that was in the back of my head, uh, more in the back of my head than I realized. So that that is 100% fair. Um, that is something in retrospect I will be more annoyed with if it's a theme that continues. I think it was... If it's isolated to this movie, then it works for the story that this movie is trying to tell. But if it becomes an ongoing trait 
where it's Peter has Tonyisms, then then I'm going to be like, all right, we're leaning on this too heavy. We're getting a little shortchanged on what we can do here. Um, and if if they hadn't leaned as much on the Parker luck and had those moment like those great little character moments. Um, then I would be much more annoyed with it and probably be more in the, uh, this was Iron Man three and a half, like the quasi reboot, um, than it was a, a proper Spider-Man movie. Um, yeah, no, no, I, I, uh, before we get into other stuff, I gotta say, I did like that it wasn't in New York. Uh, I liked the different settings. I, I loved the, the tour of it, um, and how they incorporated Nick Fury into that behind that a bit. Um, yeah, it, it just, it was nice to see Spider-Man out of New York, but not necessarily in space because it's, it's big stakes, but it's still like, Hey, these are stakes that I Spider-Man can take on without calling an Avenger for backup. Um, but I think the, yeah, sorry. And, the, and I think the best part of the, like the whole, best country that they visited was netherlands that whole thing about like everyone in the netherlands being so nice and polite and the the hooligan the soccer hooligans putting themselves back in prison after he leaves and like it's just like th- that that part everything else is kind of like okay there's there's canals there's the bridge and wherever they were prague or whatever like there's the london bridge london tower bridge like that was like that's like they got some of the culture in there i thought that was hilarious they, i really appreciated that part but hey anyway, continue uh, yeah, that was definitely a standout. Um, it was, yeah, that was really, really, really funny. Um, cracked me up a lot. Uh, the, uh, I think the thing though that people are going to be talking about coming out of this movie though is that mid-credit scene, which we we've loosely talked about, but I, we have to talk about. Um, J.K. Simmons coming back was so good because you cannot at this point i don't think you can recast j jonah jameson i know some people have been like well other characters you can never recast them so don't do it like they'll never be a different joker than heath ledger which not true heath ledger's was amazing but i think at this point there is no other j jonah jameson than jk simmons um and he's the right kind of guy who can do a different take while still emulating what he did before. Cause he seems to understand like this character so well. So he wasn't as amped up as he was in the Raimi movies, but still amped up enough that that was a huge crowd pleaser because we also haven't seen this character on screen since Spider-Man three, uh, outside of an email in amazing Spider-Man two. Yeah. And he, and I think like, I like, you could tell in the little bit that he was there, uh, that he wasn't as kitschy and as goofy as he was. Like he was basically a comedic relief in the Raimi movies. And if you if you kind of see it, like he's a blowhard, but he's also not a bad guy. Like when the Green Goblin breaks into his office in Spider-Man One and says, "Who takes the pictures of Spider-Man? He won't give up Peter Parker." Like so, he's like a he's a decent man. Uh, but in this one, you can tell in the little bit that he's there that he's he's not the same guy. He's not there for com- comedic relief. Uh, he's kind of gonna gonna kind of be a slime ball, I think, uh, and and that's like kind of leaning into a little bit more heavy in the the earlier uh, Ditko and Lee stuff, where he he's basically a villain who creates a whole bunch of other villains, uh, but instead of being like a reputable newsman, he's like well Amy Pascal, who's one of the executive producers, uh, she um, compared him to um, I think his name is Alex Jones, who runs Infowars which is like a 
uh, if you don't know, I didn't know who that what that was. I looked it up. It's like a, it's a ultra conservative right wing, but not just like I'm conservative. Uh, but he's like a conspiracy theory nut slash like his. Do you go in there and you read stuff and you're like, what is he talking about? So like that kind of thing is what they were going for with it. Um, so he's just going to be like this crazy guy that has just all these things he has to say. Uh, if I'm not going to lie, that analogy is so good. If they somehow at some point work in friggin' Jonah Jameson screaming about the tap water or whatever, turning the freaking frogs gay, I'm going to lose it. I will laugh so hard because that's the kind of ridiculous person that Alex Jones is. Um, I, I think I think you're right though uh, in seriousness about his characterization. Uh, they're probably going to go for that classic Jonah Jameson, um, or also a bit of the the Spider-Man for PS4 characterization, where Jonah has a podcast. He's like he's got a web series. He's not necessarily on a network, so he's doing his thing off to the side, and he's as always insanely anti-Spider-Man. But still got the comedic effect. But and and I think like you, you can even tell just by the little bit that he was in there. Like a real news reporter is showing a clip from his website, and it's not even the DailyBugle.com. It's .net, right? Like it's like there's not a lot of credibility to this guy, right? He's he's just this crusader who's going to go big because he got this clip that was doctored by by Mysterio. Um, and and I think so that this leads to the question of you know what's going to happen to Spider-Man three. Um, I also noticed the second time through that it ends very much similarly to the first one, where uh, Aunt May finds out that he's Peter Parker or that he's Spider-Man, and you know ends with the, "What the?" and then cuts off. Spider-Man says the same thing. The movie cuts off with him saying, you know, the same kind of thing. Uh, but like, where is this going to go, right? So people have been saying, and I think the director John Watts or one, or one of the writers maybe has said that they wanted to see Craven the Hunter, and that's somebody that we haven't seen yet. Uh, and that could work with you know coming in to hunt down Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Um, there's a, a run in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics where he comes to uh, Peter Parker's school and, and is trying to figure out like is he they, they know that he's somehow related to that school and, and that could be really cool. Um, I would really like, personally like to see the Scorpion from the first movie come back because he was trying to find out who Peter Parker was and you know Jameson could somehow fund him turning into the Scorpion, which is what happens in the comics, right? Or, or even the Spider Slayers, which also Peter uh, Jameson was responsible for in the comics. And, and just sort of see Jameson be the villain behind the villains uh, in the next one as they're trying to hunt down Peter Parker. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, Peter Parker can erase these videos and send a drone strike on him if he wants to. <laughs> so it's not really that big of a deal. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's just so many interesting directions that this could go in now with this sort of, this whole direction for it. So, yeah. Uh, technically, he, he he could, I guess, do that. But I mean, it aired in Times Square. Friggin' everybody saw it, so it, it's not like the crossover with Men in Black where you can neuralize them or anything. Um, uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's really interesting, and I I would not mind Craven um to give this uh franchise absolute kudos. They have not used any of the like huge names. Um, like they've really gone to Spidey has a great rogues gallery and I'm not knocking, uh, Vulture, Mysterio or Craven or anybody, but they're, they're kind of like, or shocker. Like they're like the B and C listers of his gallery and they are making these guys the forerunners that like carrying the movie, which 
I'm excited to see where this franchise goes. I'd love to see how, because they're doing things pretty, like, I think it's safe to say pretty good, uh, if not great. Um, outside of from some character changes that I'm not always on board with, uh, again, inner Flash fan. Um, <laughs> like, they're, I, I'd love to see what they do with Hobgoblin, Green Goblin, uh, Doc Ock, characters that we know, but we've already seen, so... One of the one of the things that's been a, a weird theory going around is that in the comics, for a long time, everyone thought Ned Leeds was the Hobgoblin. So I mean, seeing Ned turn into a bad guy as a chubby supervillain would be kind of funny. Uh, but and and the other thing with Craven is there's that character in the background of the movie called Dimitri who's working for uh, Fake Nick Fury, um, and he looks like Craven first of all. So people people were kind of wondering what that when they cast him, but. In the comics, Dimitri is the name of the chameleon, who is Craven's half brother, right? So there's possibly a connection there. Uh, so yeah, we, we, who, who knows where that's all going? Um, can I rant for a little while about something that I, I kind of realized after I watched it, like a good rant, uh, the second time? <laughs> yeah, go for it, man. Okay, so um, I was reading an article on comicbook.com. Uh, Amy Pascal, who's, again, this executive producer on the Sony side of things, uh, was talking to them, uh, and she made the comment that the theme of the movie from beginning to end is you can't believe what you see all the time, or you can't always believe what you see, and that it's not just the obvious things like Mysterio comes across as a good guy, but he's not, and then obviously Nick Fury and uh, Maria Hill turn out to be Talos and his wife from the Skrulls from Captain Marvel, right? So it's not it's not just those big things, that there's more in it. So I went in the second time looking for that, and and it's it's really, really there all the way through, and I thought they did an amazing job of, of weaving that theme into a Mysterio-centric story. Um, so I'm just going to go through all the things that I found uh, really interesting in there. Um, Another really big one in there is is the whole idea of Peter's secret identity, right? And and the deception that he goes through to try and hide it from, you know, everybody, including MJ, who he likes, uh, and Brad. There's that picture that Brad takes of him with his pants down, and he's like, it's not what it seems like, which is true, right? Uh, you can look at a picture without context, and it can look really like one thing when it turns out to be another thing. It doesn't always... it's The truth isn't always what it looks like. Um, and... Uh, and then that being revealed at the end, his identity being revealed at the end comes out of that. And, and of course, that video that Mysterio makes, which is edited, so it makes it look like Spider-Man's a bad guy, right? So that you can't always believe what you see. But there's also many references to like the news and how uh, the news is spreading this information that's false, right? So they, they spread this information about Mysterio being a good guy. Uh, there's that silly part where Ned makes up the name Night Monkey, and then as, you, as the movie progresses, you find out that that actually has spread throughout all of Europe, so that when he goes to, to Holland, people are running away yelling, Night Monkey, and they're like, they, 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 or, so I guess that was in Berlin. And, and like, so that this false information spreads, and Peter makes a joke about how you have to always believe the news, and then Flash is reading about the origin of Hydro Man on BuzzFeed, which the funniest thing of that is in, um, in the comics, what he was reading on BuzzFeed is the actual origin of Hydro Man. Uh, so that was kind of funny. Uh, and then MJ makes the comment, you can't always believe what you're like, oh yeah, you should always believe what you read on the internet, right? So the, this, this kind of thing keeps coming up. But I think the three most interesting parts of it were in the character arcs of some of the people, right? So um, 
you're talking about Flash, right? So Flash is portrayed as this character that's got his life together. He's rich. He's got everything he could ever want. He's a, like that's why he's a bully, right? He's picking on Peter, who has a hard life. Um, but there's two scenes in there with Flash where you, you get a look behind the curtain with him. Um, the first one's kind of subtle. When uh, Peter first puts on the Edith glasses, he can see what everyone's texting. And Flash has a text to his mom saying, Hi, Mother, I haven't heard from you or father in a few days. I hope you're doing well. And then at the end of the movie, when he gets picked up by his butler, he's, you know, I think you remember that, he's sad that his mother didn't come to pick him up, right? So you get this idea that though Flash looks like this guy who has got a good life and he's rich, he actually has a kind of a crappy life and his parents don't care about him. Um, the other person with that is MJ, right? And I kind of talked about her story at the beginning a little bit of she's this person who has this, this persona of just not caring about anything. She kind of does her own thing. But she admits that that's a wall that she's put up to protect herself because she doesn't she's not good at getting close to people she hasn't good luck hasn't had good luck with it she says right so there's there's this idea that um you can't judge people based on what they try to make known about themselves because there's more going on right there's more going on in the background that you're not aware of uh so i thought that was really cool but then the other part of it is the whole tony stark thing um so again a big theme in this movie a big part of this movie is peter uh trying to live up to the um, legacy of Tony Stark, right? He sees him everywhere. He feels this pressure to do it. Tony Stark really is, though there are Uncle Ben references, so the, the suitcase had Uncle Ben's initials on it, and both um, Homecoming and Civil War had these brief kind of hints that, that Uncle Ben had died, although they, like, if you know what you're looking for, it's there, but anyway. But, like, Tony Stark's death is really what motivates him as kind of the Uncle Ben moment in this. Uh, and so he's trying to live up to his legacy, and he's like, I can't, I, I mess up, I'm not good enough, I'm, I'll never be like him. And Happy, who's one of the people that knew him best, is able to say, yeah, but Tony couldn't live up to Tony's legacy, right? Tony was a mess. He always second-guessed everything. Like, he he wasn't just this hero that everyone's making him out to be. He was he was a bit of a disaster of a person, right? Uh, and, and so there's this idea of, like, there's this what you see about somebody, and especially in, like, celebrity news and, and those kind of things, is not... Uh, is not what it seems, right? And, and I think that gets even deeper when you think about the fact that every villain that Spider-Man has fought in his solo movies is somebody who was hurt by Tony Stark, right? That part of Tony Stark's legacy is a wake of people that have been damaged. Uh, and and like when Tony says, I want you to be better than me, this is the kind of thing he's talking about, right? So there's this idea in there like you have to not just judge based on what people put out there, what people are saying, uh, but understand there's more to it behind that. And and so one of the one of the areas of growth of, of Peter's Spider-Man in this movie was um, we finally we, we we didn't see the spider sense really at all in Homecoming, um, but we start we saw it for the first time in Endgame when his hair stands up as they pass the big space donut or whatever that thing is. Um, Infinity War. What did I say? <laughs> Sorry, you said Endgame. Oh yeah, yeah, Endgame Part One. Yeah. Inf- Infinity War, right? So, and then this one, they make it a thing, like when Aunt May throws the banana at him, and and she calls it his Peter Tingle, um, and and the way that he he eventually defeats Mysterio is by figuring out how to kind of get his Peter Tingle online, right? They talk about that, and I again, I, I kind of feel like that's a bit more of a they could have done more with that and shown it a bit more, but again, it was a packed movie, but I, I think the message that they were trying to make with that with this theme is we need to learn how to be discerning, right? We need to learn how to, to not just take things on face value, but, but think things through and dig a little bit deeper and, um, and, and discern what's true and what's false and what's going on with people. 
uh, both in you know fake news, uh, quote unquote, uh, or or whatever, right? Like, I, I believe there is fake news out there, but it's such a politically charged term that I don't like necessarily using it. Uh, but also with with people's personalities and what's going on with them, I, I I thought that like when I thought that through, like that was so deep, and I, I like I was actually really impressed with it. It wasn't apparent at first but when i was looking for it i was like it's all the way through this and there's some interesting things i have to say about that so i think when i that was the thing that was the second time i watched it i was like i really dig uh what they were doing with this movie i really enjoyed that a lot so that's what i have to say about that uh hector uh pastor hector mirai if you are uh listening to this i think uh steve just gave you some ideas for uh a chapter for faith and fandom volume seven um <laughs> Yeah, there. That was a great analysis, Steve. Um, and as you're bringing stuff up, I'm like, oh yeah, um, yeah. That's that's really really cool. Um, and that speaks to a lot of what I loved about this movie. Um, it did have like great character moments, great stuff that I felt like I was watching Spider-Man and not just terrible representations of his characters. Um, and it had so even though it was a in the guise of a light popcorn summer movie, it did have some deep themes that do challenge you. Um, yeah, it for me, it's one of the better ones from the uh, from. I don't know if it, it's not in my top five, but it it, it definitely did crack my top ten um, of the MCU movies. It it really impressed me. Like I didn't go in with low expectations, but. I dug, I dug Spider-Man Homecoming a lot. Um, I was like, all right, if it's, if it, I'm expecting something like that. And to me, it was leaps and bounds, uh, above that movie. And it really, really, really surprised me. Um, and I do want to go see it again. I just, I can't because I need to save money. because um, Feige, come on, man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited to see where they're going to go because there's so much you could do with this next one. Um, like, you had a similar excitement to what are they going to do with um, Aunt May knowing because that's not something we've done in film. It's something that's happened in comics uh, and in some shows based on some comics, but we haven't done it in the in the films yet. And in this one, it just worked. She knew. Uh you're you got something for that yeah i i would argue that she knew in the the raimi spider-man they just did it kind of late they uh didn't make it apparent they just sort of you can kind of tell by some of the things that she's saying that she knew uh there's a speech she gives in spider-man 2 when he wants to give up but anyway that's beside the point uh as i was saying that i was thinking uh i because i did rewatch spider-man 2 around christmas um hate that movie anyways <laughs> um this is so much better than it, but that, that I'm, I'm going to stop because uh, I don't want to just bag on Spider-Man the whole uh, Spidey, Raimi Spideys the whole time. Uh, to give Sam Raimi credit, though, before I continue, um, I, I've seen a video where I've learned like there is no bigger critic of Spider-Man 3 than Sam, Ra than Sam Raimi. He owns up to a lot of the mistakes and he also shares like how much studio interference and studio pressure like really messed up that flick. So I've given him a lot of flack, um, but you know what? Kudos for, for recognizing stuff and 
my sympathies go out to you because yeah it's it's tough to make a good movie when like eighteen thousand different people are interfering and forcing you to include a villain so i should give him some i should give him some grace <laughs> i'm trying to do that and i think and i said this before like for me everyone always wants to rank the movies and i can't because there's things i like about each of them that are different like i I think that the the Sam Raimi movies, especially the first two, they capture. And I, and I talked about this like this one not being, uh, not feeling like a Spider-Man movie to me a little bit. Those movies are classically Spider-Man. Like what they're about is Spider-Man, uh, in a way that I didn't think this one was, or even Homecoming. <clears throat> but that that said, I think there's a lot of it that, though I like them a lot more than you, doesn't stand up to the test of time. Um, they're the Amazing Spider-Man movies, though most people would hate those. I think uh, what they what they put together with the chemistry between Peter and Gwen hasn't been matched yet, and I, I think they did a great job with that. And my favorite mo- moment, probably in any Spider-Man movie, is still Peter rescuing that little kid with the science fair project from the bullies in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Even though that's my least favorite movie, that's my favorite scene in a Spider-Man movie, I think. Um, and then the last two MCU movies have just been, like, everything good about spider-man put together in one and well put together and just well-made movies except that there have been like spider-man via remix culture uh, i've heard them called like they're not they're not classic spider-man they're like we got to do something different because this is the third time we've done this right so that's why that's why i'm so excited about the third one when i saw him swinging through new york i was like oh this feels like spider-man again uh anyway so yeah that's my hot take (laughs) uh Sorry, Jill is dancing right across as I'm trying to look at you and do this story. Um, I can see her reflection in the window. Steve can see you in the window, hon. <laughs> um, and your laugh will be on this when I post it. Um, <laughs> sorry, listener. Uh, my wife is adorable and amazing. All right, so um, you know what? I think that remix culture comment is is very accurate. Um not in a toot my own horn way, but earlier I said like this one, this third it it is the third iteration on film. Uh, they are mashing up Spider-Man from his original run, from Ultimate, from a recent Six One Six run. Like there's a lot of things that you can see in there, so it, they're very much picking and choosing and kind of mixing together. Um, so I think that analogy works great. Um, yeah, I, I, I've made no secret my dislike of the originals, but you, you are right. As much as I don't like them, as much as I think they're bad films, like they do, they do have some, they do have some stuff that is quintessential Spider-Man. Um, I just think they're terrible movies and terrible versions, but it did have, it did have that. It's it, as much as they frustrate me and upset me, they're not friggin' Batman and Robin. Um, although they're not Batman and Robin, uh, but I hate Spider-Man three so much. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing is Batman and Robin except for Batman and Robin. That's that's like except for maybe Catwoman <laughs> or Elektra, uh, or Superman four Quest for Peace, or debatably both Ghost Rider movies. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, Frig- okay. I, I I take that back. You're right. Or Howard the Duck. Or anyway. <laughs> or different, not even comics. Jaws four. Um. Anyways, like as much as I don't like them, I like you just said. You, 
they I can see and give credit to they had some stuff there. Amazing Spider-Man, like you, it, it still it had so much for me. I I don't actually understand the gripe it gets outside of nostalgia for the first for the first three. They are flawed, um, but the, like these last two solo Spider-Man movies are like you said, grab everything together. They're they're like a greatest hits compilation, but also they're better made films. And I think that's what's making them so much more enjoyable for me. Um, it's not like I'm looking at it where it's like, I don't like this actor. I don't like this, like the writing in this sucks. It's falling apart because they're trying to set up Sinister Six or something or cram in Venom and Sandman and not Green Goblin too. Like, they're doing so much like these don't have those structural issues. They kept it to one main villain and one minor villain. Um, they've they're better made movies. So that's only enhancing the experience for me. Um, I love that the third one is it's basically breaking new ground because you can't do what you did with aunt may in this one where it's just like, okay, she knows we're kosher. It's good. You can't do that with dropping his identity to New York city. Uh, they can't sweep that one under the rug and just roll with it. Um, I have no beef that they did that with Aunt May, but it's just, you pointed out how they ended the movies with the same line and almost a similar circumstance, but with the third one, you can't do it. And that that's exciting. Um, I'd love to see who the villain is. I'd legit be down for Craven or friggin' Scorpion, especially if Jonah's doing it, um, like he did in the comics, like he did in the great 90s show, um, I'm all down for that. It's, it's new ground for Spider-Man movies, and I think that's what makes me love this one the most. Uh, as much as one of my favorite moments, even though it's from debatably the worst Spider-Man movie, is when Gwen died in Amazing Spider-Man 2, because that's something that captured the spirit of something from the book differently but greatly and this is getting us to new direction i i see you got something blarg i hated the death of gwen in that movie so much because it was just shoehorned in at the end and i just couldn't ah oh, i was so angry that was that was why i hated that movie was because it just ah I will totally give you that, that it was shoehorned in. It did not need to be in that movie. It should have been in the third movie. But to me, it captured the essence, captured the spirit, and the had the impact, a similar impact that it did in the comic just because of the strength of friggin' Emma Stone's and Garfield's chemistry and performances together. That's where I'm giving you credit. I'm not trying to justify it they forced it in but that was the make or break thing for me for that movie if they had changed it too much or if they hadn't had garfield and stone be as likable uh together then i would be a lot more blargy than i am fair enough should we uh wrap this up you wanted to talk about maybe some other marvel news yes yes sorry um yeah so i'm curious about where the heck phase four is going to go um because we're we're now entering it. Uh, Spidey, Spidey, Far From Home was the the cap off to uh, Phase Three, which is like the longest phase I think of any Marvel movies. Because um, it started back at uh, 
friggin' Civil War, I think. And then it it just kept going, um, which I was fine with. Phase 3 was great, but I'm really excited to see where Phase 4 is going to go, um, especially with the Disney streaming service. They're bringing new characters to the uh, to to the MCU, um, and then also how Hulu is going to play into it because Ghost Rider, who showed up in Agents of Shield season four, is getting his own show on Hulu. So I'm I'm really curious to see. What are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, part of part of it is I'm just waiting until next Saturday, right? Because at San Diego Comic Con, the Marvel Universe has a big uh, panel there, and I assume that we're going to get some news at that point. I'll be disappointed if we don't. Um, it seems like next year's movies are going to be Black Widow, which they're already filming, uh, The Eternals, which they're casting for, and Shang-Chi, what they've talked about looking for a director. Those are the ones that seem to be on the on the block for being next up, which is interesting because uh, that means that there'll be a year of movies that could potentially be not moving the story forward, but kind of filling in the gaps of the past, right? And and still give them time to kind of figure out some of the direction uh, in, in detail with the Fox stuff, maybe, or, or whatever else. Uh, I kind of feel like Sony has been putting out this stuff on their own schedule, where there's usually like three years between these franchise movies, but there's been two between the Spider-Man movies, with him in Avengers movies in between. Uh, so whenever Spider-Man Fly Away Home comes out, uh, like, where... You know, it, it may be in a couple of years, um, so I'm looking forward to uh, Spider-Man Home Run Jack. Uh, like, it, it's... Do you like my hook reference? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, obviously we're going to get a Black Panther 2, we're going to get Captain Marvel 2, we're going to get Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at some point, we're probably going to get a Doctor Strange 2, um, and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, uh, so... I'm looking forward to seeing what comes up in uh, uh, the San Diego Comic Con panel. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely interested to hear what they do, and I too am excited for uh, Spider-Man Three: Homeward Bound: The Incredible Journey, uh, or Homeward Bound Two: Lost in Los Angeles, or whatever the hell that one was. Um, oh man, there's so many good things we can do with this title, and loved that hook reference. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting because next year, um, yeah, the the announced movies are ones that they're all first movies. Um, I can't think of the last time this happened. I mean, there was one year, wasn't there? One year where we got Ant Man and Doctor Strange. Um, yeah, no, it's yeah, two thousand eight. So at this point, by the time those movies come out next year, twelve friggin' years ago. Um, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to see what goes on in the MCU uh, going forward. I've heard some really interesting rumors. Apparently, Beta Ray Bill was really considered to be in uh, Thor Ragnarok, but they didn't want to just shoehorn him in. Like, they did have the Colobite thing on the side of the tower, but he was going to be a gladiator. Uh, but now with Stormbreaker in the MCU, uh, it, he could show up in... Guardians of the Galaxy 3, or if they go with it, as Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it's, it's interesting, man. Especially with, with the Fox stuff coming. Uh, yeah. I, I'm really curious. 
I did read a rumor that there was a potential cameo of Falcon as Cap in, in Spider-Man. I'm kind of glad that didn't get in because it would have been out of place with the story that they were telling. But I'm interested to see that one as well. So, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the TV shows I'm looking forward to as well. Um, I'm still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., although Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. almost seems like it's in an alternate timeline now, which... Considering the fact that they went back to back in time in the last season and the theories of time travel that are in Endgame, I guess that makes sense that it is an alternate timeline, but uh, I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if the Ghost Rider show is going to be tie into what's already been shown or not. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to all those things. I'm looking forward to Spider-Man. You can't go home again. I'm looking forward to uh, whatever else comes. I, I'm in for the long haul with the MCU, and I'm really enjoying this, so... Yeah, I, and I still haven't seen uh, Dark Phoenix. I don't know what's going on with that. I'm not really interested. Um, I haven't seen Venom. I haven't really been watching any other of the Marvel stuff that's been out there. Um, so I was, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing when eventually Fox, the Fox stuff comes into uh, the MCU as well. Um, well, my thoughts were shared on the uh, the last podcast I did about um, Dark Phoenix, but it was it was bad. It was bad, um, so you didn't really miss much. Uh, and Venom was... You went and saw Dark Phoenix? Yes, yeah, Jill and I did. Uh, we saw Dark Phoenix, um, and neither of us liked it. <laughs> and apparently, as indicated by the box office, not many people did either. Because um, that bombed, man. Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they do this, uh, what the next big thing is my my hope is still galactus but we'll see uh ghost rider i know it's the guy who played um robbie reyes that's not is it robbie reyes okay yeah it's the guy who played robbie reyes in agents of shield so that seems to indicate it's a spinoff um so i'm hoping it's connected because i like ghost rider uh and it'll be interesting to see how he could potentially be tied in um and hulu might be the home of the darker or edgier whatever you want to say um marvel superheroes uh the netflix characters could probably could probably continue there um yeah cool uh one oh sorry uh one last thing i wanted to ask you sir uh th- it's not marvel related but they announced that robert pattison has been cast as batman do you have any thoughts <laughs> Uh, I thought that though that he backed out of that, but um, yeah, I don't really have any deep thoughts about it. I mean, I never watched Twilight. I thought he was fine as Cedric Diggory. That's really all I know him from. Apparently, he's done stuff since then that people say is really good and that he could do a good job. Uh, I'm so tuned out from DC stuff anyway that uh, doesn't matter to me. I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I'm just really excited about Spider-Man Three: Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. <laughs> You win. That's the winner. That's the winner right there. Um, and that's a fair take. Uh, all I've got is I, I, I've I seen him in Twilight. He wasn't good, but he doesn't think he was good in Twilight. And I think there's been enough castings over the past, well, ever, that when people are like, this guy can't play this, a lot of times they get proven wrong. Keaton with Batman, Ledger with Joker, um... People might have been right about Clooney with Batman, but Clooney was a great Bruce Wayne. Uh, like, it's... 
until I see a reel or a frame of footage uh, or something, I got no reason to doubt he's going to be all right. Um, all right, Steve, thank you for joining us uh, via Google Hangout um, and coming up with all... Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Uh, and coming up with all these amazing uh, Spider-Man threequel, uh, Tokyo Drift. Um, <laughs> uh, titles. Um, yeah, man. Great to have you back, and I look forward to doing this with you again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it, too. Thanks for having me on. No problem, bro. Spider-Man Sherlock Holmes. Spider-Man Home Slice. (laughs) Spider-Man Sherlock, oh goodness. Oh boy. All right, well, dear listener, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of One Cross Radio, and I hope you uh, let us know in the comments what did you think of Spider-Man Far From Home 2 Electric Boogaloo, and... uh, what did uh what were your takes let us know in the comments hope you have a wonderful day and god bless my friends take care